0: temptation. This is probably a passage that several of you have memorized over the course of your sojourning, at least at some point. If not, it's a good one to memorize. Paul tells us to the Corinthians, and thus the word of God to us, that there's no temptation that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, there's not a sin out there that it's not not common to man. We were all conceived in iniquity. We're all born in sin. We were We all inherited that same sin nature from Adam. Your flesh is no different than any other flesh. The lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, and the boastful pride of life hits all people equally. Perhaps in different degrees, once we get saved and once we start seeking the Lord and once we start walking by faith and putting to death the deeds of the flesh and we start the practice of progressive sanctification and practicing the spiritual disciplines... We can start having a change in life because we become more conformed. But there's, there is no temptation that's not common to all people. And it says, And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now there's probably several of you here this morning who are thinking that verse, that passage right there in particular, that, por- that portion, you will not be tempted beyond what you are able. Perhaps you feel like that's an impossibility. Perhaps even this morning you have particular temptations that you have succumbed to over and over on countless occasions, and you hate your sin. You, you, like Peter, perhaps you even weep over your sin. Or perhaps you've allowed your heart to become so callous to that. Don't know. But there is no t- temptation beyond what you were able to bear. And so there's a choice of voices, of listening to the voice that's in your head that's telling you one thing, as we're going to see the voice of temptation that comes creeping into Jesus' life, and how he resists that, and the same voice that's going to come into yours. Or there's the voice of the Word of God that speaks very definitively and very plainly. And here it speaks very plainly. "'Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also.'" will provide, will provide the way of escape also, so that, purpose statement, you will be able to endure it. Jesus' example in our passage this morning in Matthew is a pattern of the way of what escaping looks like. It's as simple and as easy as that. And again, that little voice that, we get in our head that oftentimes sounds an awfully like our own voice that's always telling you why it's okay to not be as holy as God is holy after all he's God and I'm not And however that little voice starts making you feel perhaps comfortable with not being as holy as God is holy perhaps not wanting to seek holiness the way God is holy however that plays out in your life, that that voice that seeks to soothe the flesh, that voice that even will misuse Scripture to justify sinful behavior. It's a voice that tells you of of how deserving you are of certain pleasures in life because really somebody over here owed you something and they didn't provide for you, thus you have the right and and it's probably even okay. God understands. That voice that usually seems to get the best of us is probably one of those flaming arrows from your adversary that the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. What do you think? After all, he has been the father of lies from the beginning. And it's important for us to remember that there is another voice. Amen? Amen. There's another voice, it's the voice of God as found and revealed in the word of God. If I've heard it once, I've heard it so many times, oh, I'm I'm just seeking, you know, that that still small voice that comes from God. Well, listen, if that still small voice isn't in alignment with the written word, the very loud spoken voice of God as revealed in his word, I don't believe that that little still small voice in the inner being of of the Holy Spirit is going to say anything that would contradict what his word has so broadly and loudly articulated for us to see and read and understand as a matter of fact I think the still small voice that we think we hear sometimes that's God's voice comes as a result of saturating ourselves in the truth right here to the degree that when we find ourselves in temptation this is the voice that we hear within our heart the voice of the word of God himself through the word of God saying that God is faithful And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But with that temptation is going to provide a way of escape for you. And you can endure it. And it's that voice of the word of God. That still small voice that echoes the the written word of God. That shows us exactly how we can have success in Christ Jesus. Amen? Is, Is this not where we live on the daily? I mean let's just be... Utterly honest ab- about this. This, I believe, perhaps is where most of us live in a daily way. Now, in this little commentary right here, Christ centered exposition in Matthew, um, it provided an outline that was so good I wasn't even tempted to try to reduplicate it. You know, it's change the word and it really becomes my word at that point now listen there was a really good outline in here of things that this passage that we're going to be looking at in matthew should be reminding us of as we go into this portion of the scripture because again this is where a lot of us we live here on the daily we these are this is a daily this is why the apostle paul says that we need to put on the the armor of god and we need to do that how often daily and the reason why we're putting on the armor of God is because of spiritual battles and temptations. So the outline that I'm going to show you, I'm just, I'm just giving you the heads up. I, it's, it, there's not much new out there, but I got it directly from this little commentary right here, okay? Just letting you know that. So uh, the first thing um, that we need to consider when looking at a passage like this is that there is a spiritual world. Now I got a lot of amen, hearty amens, amen, it's, which was affirming in that we recognize that this statement like this here is true, that the devil is real, he is alive and he's active and he's, a, he's the tempter, he's the deceiver of the brethren. And it, this reminds us that there is an invisible spiritual world that is just as real as the visible world in which we are now currently living. And again, while most of us acknowledge this fact, how many of us are actually and truly living each day with this fact in mind. In other words, when the rubber hits the road, I think that in theory we do believe this, but in practice, I think our lives demonstrate something in practice that oftentimes is, it doesn't belie this truth, but it certainly doesn't seem to be in alignment, close alignment with this truth. We can almost live every day or every week or every month of our lives without even giving consideration to the reality that there is a spiritual world out there and that we have an adversary who's trying to take us down and take us out without even giving any consideration whatsoever. Until things get so bad, then we turn to the scriptures and we start looking for that voice. So in, in theory, we do, but in practice, I, I dare to say that the, that the church... Sometimes fails miserably. Notice this one verse right here in Hebrews 13 too. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. How many of you consciously live on a daily basis thinking that the entertainment of, of strangers in your life might perhaps be angels sent to you by God to aid you or are you aiding them on some purpose that they have in life or down here on this earth? None of us do. Okay, there's always the exception. Someone right now is going, no, I, I, I think that often whenever I'm entertaining strangers. That's the first thought that comes to my mind. Okay, so the majority of us don't, but there's a few super spiritual people here that probably do, okay, so I'm clear on that. But we oftentimes are not living, thinking about the reality that there's a spiritual world out there and we are actively engaged with it. Somehow we're detached from it. It doesn't impact us. And... Um, Jesus' temptations reminds us very vividly that there is a spiritual world and its engagement with us is very real. Number two, we're involved in a spiritual battle as a result. And while we're not the major players in this spiritual battle, we are what? We are foot soldiers who have been given orders from our commander-in-chief in this spiritual battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, as was first laid out in Genesis chapter 3. We're not major players, but we are indeed foot soldiers, and we have been given a commission. In Ephesians 6, 11 and 12, this is why it tells us, to put on the armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against what? I mean, honestly, again, do we, do we consider on the daily that we need to be standing firm against anything that's in the spiritual realm? Do we, do we give consideration that the devil actually has schemes? Now, I'm not saying we need to go around and try to find Satan under every rock that we walk past. It's not about the every rock that we walk past. It's about the thoughts that come infiltrating our minds, with regard to, oh, it won't hurt. We can we can put on our private search mode in 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 Safari, and no one will ever know our history because it's it it forgets it when we leave, and we can go into whatever place we want to go into. Those rocks. Those spiritual battles. And we could go on, it's, I could give it, etc. Et we, could, we could list a myriad of ways that this could play itself out, but you know them all already, because if you've lived long enough, you recognize what they are. And many of you, hopefully, are fighting the good fight, and you're doing things and have done things already to win said spiritual battles, because the schemes of the devil are coming after you. And listen, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, we sometimes think that it's husband against wife, it's the kids, it's the neighbors, it's the boss. It's not against flesh and blood. Listen, there's a spiritual world out there that's, that's driving the course of this world in which we live. Royce, Brother, brother Royce, praying about how even our own government, we get, we get deceptive information all the time about what's right and what's wrong. And they, they say what's right is what God calls an abomination. So do, are they telling us truth? No, they're telling us lies. Who is the father of lies? Satan. Who's the prince of the power of the air that's, that's, that's driving all of this stuff? It's ultimately not flesh and blood. It's rulers, powers, and world forces of darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is what's driving the system in which we live. It's a spiritual problem. And oftentimes, we've been trained just to get mad as Republicans to get mad at the Democrats and the Democrats to get mad at us. It's not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual problem. Now, does it make me upset when I see? Well, yeah, because I hate, I hate that which God calls an abomination being made to look like it's the new American values. I hate that. But, they, but what they need is they need the Lord. They need conversion. They need spiritual eyes of their heart opened. And I can promise you, when the spiritual eyes of their heart are opened, they won't think the way they think anymore. And we have to be discerning enough to recognize that just because somebody says something that sounds Christianly does not make them a Christian. Actions speak louder than words. Grandma taught me that a long time ago, and the Word of God confirms it. I think she got there. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. The sons of the devil, practitioners of sin. 1 John chapter 3. And they're easy to distinguish them between the sons of God because they become practitioners of righteousness. Why? Because the spiritual eyes of our hearts get opened, and we desire to be pleasing to God, to be holy like God is holy. And you can't fake that forever. You may spring up and have a moment of excitement and, oh yes, and sing the song and say hallelujah, but a year, three years, five years later, you're no more interested in the church and the people of God and attending a a local church and learning from God's word and being accountable to people and being disciples and making disciples. All of that is forgotten. It's washed under the bridge a long time ago. But baseball, hot dog, apple pie. Chevrolet, and Christianity, Jesus, it's right there, the American way. We as the church of Jesus Christ, we've, we've got to wake up and we've got to get back on our knees and start praying. These are spiritual battles that we are in, involved in, and it's on the daily. And I'm here to tell you, people need the Lord, amen? They need the truth, and your, your life might be the only truth that someone sees. That's reflecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then that gives your mouth a chance to speak forth the beautiful, wonder, wonderful, good news of Christ the Lord. Let's be those foot soldiers. Thirdly, our enemy in this spiritual battle is formidable. First Peter 5 8 tells us, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. The degree to which we live our lives without giving any consideration to the spiritual world and, and, and what we see and how we interact with that and the people we interact with, I think is the degree that we fail to understand the formability form, of, of, of the true adversary, Satan. This word right here, devour. Notice how severe it is. To cause the complete and sudden destruction of someone or something. To destroy, to ruin, completely. John ten ten. The thief came that he may what? Steal, kill, destroy completely Jesus said but I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly who do you believe in notice in this uh, luau nida I say nida I noticed this past Thursday Matt says nida we're going to have to talk about that one is it Nita or nida I don't know but notice the reference they put in here is that first Peter devour your adversary the devil schemes prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone, insert your name right here, to devour, to steal, kill, and completely destroy. We need to be aware of this, so that when we go into this passage, like we see in Matthew 4, and how Jesus overcame temptation, it's a pattern for us, it's a model for us, on how we can have success, and gain victory, and not be turned into a loaf of bread, by our sins the temptations that he lays out before us. Fourthly, we need to be reminded in this that the stakes in this spiritual battle are eternal. And while it's true that salvation belongs to our God and that God will not lose one of his elect, it's equally true that we are not God. And not being God leaves us not knowing who the elect of God are and not knowing who the elect of God are, we are to actively be fishers of men. It's the gospel preached that is the power of God unto salvation. And Jesus sent us, his disciples, into this world to be witnesses, foot soldiers of the crucified Christ and of his dying for sins and the sins of the world. We don't just go around and herald God, Jesus, he died on the cross to save some of you. I don't know who you are, but if you're one of the elect, you'll feel that tugging of your, of your heart. No, We preach a whosoever will gospel, come. Whosoever will believe today, come. The stakes in this battle are eternal. People need the Lord. Fifthly, the scope of this spiritual battle is universal. In Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come this battle is universal and he wants to use us in this universal struggle so that we can preach the gospel and then God will do what he's gonna do with it and he will save whom he chooses to save amen and lastly our involvement in this spiritual battle is very personal Listen, if God has saved you, he wants to use your life in a very specific way for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not here to build little kingdoms for ourselves. Your life is so fleeting. Either you trust the word of God or you don't. And it says your life is like a vapor on a cold morning. And either you believe that or you don't. And if you, to the degree that you don't, you might start trying to invest in your own personal kingdom. Houses, lands, boats, cars, and even the multiplication of those things. The enjoyment of the now, because why not? It's always, listen, you, this, these, the, 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 the reality is is that eternal souls will, are either going to be in heaven with God or not. I'm not God. I don't know who they are. A- am I driven? Do I understand that I have a personal stake that God has chosen to use me, you, as an instrument by which and through which to accomplish the spreading of the gospel and the saving of souls. Am I going to ferret my time away doing so many other things that are so fun? All these other things will be added unto you. Sometimes it, we, we invert that. And we go after all those other things and then we, we do our religious duty at the, end of a, or at the beginning of a week. Listen, we need to recognize that we have a great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us and therefore we lay aside every encumbrance and sin, the sin which so easily entangles so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. The word of God has told us very plainly and very powerfully what that race that's set before us is and this is why in verse 2 it says we'd better fix our eyes on Jesus his kingdom the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Where did Jesus sit down? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And he's left us as foot soldiers down here to accomplish his purposes. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So when you're being tempted in the same manner and fashion in which Jesus was tempted, you won't grow weary and lose heart. You know whose you are. You know the purposes that he has for you. Your, your eyes are fixed on him. You're running the race that he put before you. He's the perfecter of your faith. It's, you've gone broke for Jesus. Amen? That's what it's about. And these are the kind of thoughts that when we read a passage over the temptations of Christ, these are the, the thoughts that we ought to be thinking about and, and, and processing at a very fine level. In other words, to our own, to our own souls and how it impacts us personally. Now, I'm, not, I'm right on time. I said I should be here by 11 o'clock, and it's 11 o'clock. I'm doing great. Are you feeling it? You're like, Ben, you haven't even got to Matthew 4 yet. But I, I think I'm right on target here. So... We saw these six things that makes us, that a passage like this should cause us to think more deeply about when we go into, uh, into Matthew chapter four. And I'm giving you a few seconds here if you're writing these down, if you're taking notes. If not, I can send this to you later. Okay, it's, it's past. Look at Matthew chapter four. Notice verse one. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Now the other Gospels include the word immediately, that he was immediately led into the wilderness, which lets us know that as soon as Jesus had been baptized and commissioned for his three-year public ministry, he immediately was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, which was the place that God allowed Satan, the devil, to tempt him. It's important to notice here that All that the Holy Spirit did was lead Jesus into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit did not tempt Jesus. He did not lead Jesus into temptation. No such thing happened here. And we see here how Jesus was going to be tempted. He was going to be tempted by the devil. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, but he was tempted by the devil. The devil. Now, think about this. He was led in by the Spirit into the wilderness. There's obviously a purpose that God had for leading Jesus into the wilderness. And there's a lot of Old Testament uh, motifs that we could think about here. Um, some by way of contrast with Adam in the garden and the pristine aspect of the garden. And, and when he was first tempted, the first Adam, when he was tempted, he had this pristine environment in which he was... God was walking in the cool of day with him, and even without the sin nature, Adam and Eve fell and so came to sin. By contrast to that, here the second Adam, Jesus Christ, was out in a, in the, in a wilderness that was descriptive of the very place in which Adam and Eve were booted out of the garden, and the, it says that the curse fell on the earth, thorns and thistles, and it seems that Jesus is here in, enduring, the second Adam is enduring The same level of temptation, without a sin nature, as was Adam. Jesus and Adam both did not have sin natures as we do. But here Jesus is in a very rugged place. And on top of that, we see that he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And as a result of that, obviously, he became hungry. So there could be an analogy, obviously, making connection with Adam the first Adam and this being the second Adam, or you could think of how God led the children, the nation of Israel into the wilderness and they were tempted in the wilderness and how they succumbed to temptations over and again but yet here Jesus, the, the, the better Joshua, uh, the Yeshua who leads the, the, the people of the nation of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land, the better, the better uh, Joshua uh, who Jesus is, um, he, he didn't succumb to these temptations There's so many ways that we could obviously kind of make connections with some Old Testament allusion as to why he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But I also want to just make this simple observation, which is this. Wherever the Spirit led Jesus, perhaps, and this is hypothetical, but it's for a point, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the city of David or onto the other side of the city of or the Sea of, of Galilee or wherever he would have been led can, could, could Jesus have been led anywhere where there would not be temptation by the adversary, the devil can, can you, if you're walking by the Spirit and you're led by the Spirit of God is there any place where you're going to find yourselves where the temptation of the adversary can't find you out the important distinction that I'm making here for you is to recognize that Jesus was not led into temptation by God. Just because the Spirit led him into the wilderness and he was tempted in the wilderness has nothing to do with, as a matter of fact, James tells us in in James 1.13 that no one can say when they're tempted that I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. So again, this is why Matthew said at the end of verse 1, tempted by the devil. Tempted by the devil. And then in James 1.14, he says each one of you is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. So from verse 14, we can even say that the devil, you know, we can't say that the devil made me do it. Um, all the devil did was lay the temptation before you. All the devil did was lay a temptation before you and then it was your own lust that carried you away and enticed you to eat the forbidden fruit of your own lustful desires. There's not even room for blame shifting here like Adam did when he said, this woman you gave me, she made me eat the fruit and I ate. She gave me the fruit and I ate. Listen, and, and this is one of the things that makes the culture in which we live today one of the hardest of all cultures ever on planet Earth to live in and to keep your way pure. Because in everything, in every way, the, the pathways to sin, the, the, the multitudeness of temptations, are greater today as a result of the explosion of knowledge and the invention of things like the Internet and then handheld computers that we call telephones, but they are it's a computer that puts everything right at our doorsteps. Everything is there for the sole purpose of making the human heart discontented. Everything, Every advertisement you see on TV is to make you discontented with what you currently have or possess and letting you know of what you don't have and what you desperately need. Every form of advertisement is to try to lure you with, a, with somehow, with a desire of your flesh to need more. Everything. And thus, we are tempted to sin in almost every conceivable way possible now I want to read a little portion out of this little commentary here called Christ Centered Exposition I was so struck with the transparency of the author and what he wrote in this section it was, it, it, it was so shocking but it was so real And I think we can all connect with this in some form or fashion. He said these words. I feel this temptation continually in my own life. At every point, I am prone to sin. My mind is susceptible to wandering, and I am tempted to think unmentionable thoughts when I see an attractive woman who is not my wife. My heart is bent toward pride and I am tempted to compete with other pastors over who is more spiritual and more successful. I am tempted to cut moral corners in order to gain personal advantage over others. I am prone to pretense and hypocrisy, tempted to lie to make myself look better and to call people to do what I am not willing to do myself. I am prone to value appearance over authenticity, my wants over other people's needs, and I am prone to desire the glory that is due God alone. I am keenly, if not frighteningly, aware that one wrong look, one inappropriate meeting, one rash decision, one fleeting moment could wreak spiritual havoc on my life, my family, in my church I have the potential of bringing untold disgrace on my God my involvement in spiritual warfare is personal and the same holds true for every follower of Christ the battles may look different as they play out in other people's lives but don't be fooled the war is real and the evil one is persistently plotting to subtly entice you with sin, and ultimately to bring destruction upon your soul. So don't be caught unaware. We are a part of a human race wherein every man and every woman has succumbed to sin, and thus every man and every woman has experienced death except one. And that's the good news of Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Do you feel the world is broken? Yeah, we do. And the truthfulness of this pastor laying his heart out the way he did, I think gives insight into every one of our hearts this morning as well. You may be saying, well, there were some of those that, that weren't me. Well, take heed lest you fall. run as fast as you can from youthful lust because the promises of pleasure that it brings as brother Roy said this morning it's only momentary it's pleasurable but it's only momentary and it's followed by death and it can and will destroy everything that you hold of value in your life literally we need to be those who run scared we need to recognize that wherever we are led by the spirit there the tempter will be and we thus need to put on the armor of god amen and notice for jesus at the end of here in verse 2 it says he fasted 40 days and 40 nights then he became hungry it seems to me that this Fasting for forty days and for forty nights would, though it doesn't state it plainly, it would seem that these forty days of and nights of fasting would pr- perhaps be for the purpose of prayer, the purpose of preparation for his coming public ministry, um, the preparation for the strength needed for when we are weak, then he is strong. So, verse two doesn't tell us explicitly what. He was doing during those 40 days and 40 nights with regard to those things, but it does tell us what he wasn't doing. And it lets us know that he wasn't eating and that he became hungry. And so it seems that Jesus, at least physically, was in a very needy place, weakened in his human nature, susceptible then to the temptations that come. How many of you would articulate that, The times when you're probably most susceptible to temptations is when you're in a weakened state. I think that that's probably true for most people. And it seems that Jesus is here identifying, we're able to identify because, you know, oftentimes we say, well, of course Jesus was capable of of not falling to temptation, not sinning, because why? Well, he's God. He's impeccable. We had this conversation yesterday at men's study here on Saturday morning, the peccability and the impeccability of Christ. Is he, was he unable to sin because of who he was or was he not able to sin because of the nature of his character being God? And so we articulated and looked over these two concepts and we had some varying opinions on those two concepts, but the obvious is that Jesus was without sin. And so his weakened condition here, it seems, gave, gives us an ability to at least connect to a certain point or Jesus identifying with, it, with us in a certain place, at a place of great need and physical weakness. And that seems to be a time when we are most prone. And then, notice, in his physical hunger, a lust that would be of the flesh, in verse 3 it says, The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. The first temptation is directly marketed at the need that he had, the need of hunger. He had fasted for 40 days, he became hungry. And then the adversary shows up and what's he market immediately? Desire in the flesh. Hey, if you're the Son of God... Command that these stones become bread. Satisfy your own fleshly needs. Seems to be the temptation that's dropped in front of Jesus here. Jesus was prone to saying things like, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. The word of God lets us know that Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, he kind of laid aside some of his divine prerogatives in order to take on human flesh. And he became obedient, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death upon a cross. And so Jesus, we see throughout the the Gospels and throughout the epistles of the New Testament, Jesus, as our great model, modeled for us how to walk in submission to the will of the Father. His temptation here is to to wait on the will of the Father, not to allow the Father to provide for you in his time and in his way and in his need, but to reach out on your own because if indeed you are the son of God you could command these stones to become bread you could satisfy this need yourself now while we're not God a similar thought process is a similar process we go through for some reason God's withholding good from me even though the scripture says the louder voice says no no good thing will he withhold withhold from those who walk uprightly before him that's what the louder voice says but in the moment that that smaller inner deceptive voice of the adversary says, God's not taking care of my needs. My wife this, my husband that, the this, the that, and the other, and therefore I could take care of that physical fleshly need in a different way on my own instead of submitting to the authority of God's plan for my life and waiting for him to provide for me in his timing, which is perfect, always. And so this was the marketed temptation that was immediately laid before jesus and to me it seems that we should be aware of the fact that where jesus was weakest was where the first temptation came rolling in so by connecting this with us where we sometimes can find ourselves in our weakest moments it's probably going to be where that temptation comes rolling in to get us to say no to god and yes to the lust of our flesh and then to bite off on the of that provision and sin. And what does sin always lead to? Death. Death of relationship. A hardening of our own conscience towards God. And these are the things that we need be wary of. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm also acutely aware that um, my my timing didn't work out quite as is, uh, is quite as good as I thought it was going to work out. Um, I got to my first marker just fine, but then I didn't get to my second and third in as timely a fashion as I wanted. So um, we're going to need to pick up next week because I've, I've probably got about another 30 minutes here for you. And um, I don't think you have another 30 minutes worth of sitting in you. Perhaps you do. But I felt it important to to start this sermon off with those six vital aspects that we need to be thinking about don't, don't, uh, don't shut your bible on this one today and go home and just, you know, wait for next week to pick it up and see what Pastor Ben has to say, get back into this text throughout the course of this week study, read think and process because this is what we do and we need to do on the daily and Jesus is leaving us a great example. We're gonna finish here on verse four and then we'll pick back up with the second temptation. But you see what the example is? The example is the use of the word of God. What did David say? Thy word I will hide in my heart so that I might not sin against God. He answered and said, it is written. The word was hidden in his heart And we tend to say, oh, but he was God. Of course he knew the word of God. He knew it all because he's God. He wrote the book. And I think we fail to appreciate that that Jesus was both God and man. Both God and man. So he can identify with us in our weakness. We've got a dear brother in our life group. When we first started our life group, said, you know, scripture memory is just something I haven't ever, just I'm not good at it. And he's, you know, he's a little bit older than me. A little bit, not much. And to start, you know, to start now seems kind of like a daunting task. And let me tell you, this brother has memorized upwards of 15 scriptures in the course of the last six months. He's hiding God's word in his heart. It's the old, you know, an old dog learning new tricks. Because whenever, as old dogs, when we get into this word and we realize that Jesus has left us a model on how to have victory in life over temptation, the lust of the flesh, eyes, boastful pride of life, all of a sudden you find a want to within you that makes you do things that previously maybe you hadn't thought about doing. Jesus leaves us this, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Where is life? Man shall not live on bread alone. Where is true life? Life. It's not in the things that we can do to accommodate our fleshly needs. Where is true life? It's it's found in every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Where do we go to find abundant life? Jesus says, I came that they may have life to, to, to the full, abundantly. We go to the word of God, and therein we find life. And we hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against God, and therein we find abundant life. We taste and see that God is good in all his ways. And that waiting on his provision for us, no matter what the issue or circumstance or need may, may be, that in waiting on him, we prove that, that Romans eight twenty eight and 29 passage, that God causes all things to work together for good. And he, he does that in our lives. Amen? So we go to the word of God we hide it in our hearts and we pull it out like the sword of the spirit and we smash those vile wretched lies to pieces every time they're raised up against the truth and knowledge of God and his word and you say pastor how many times do we have to do it you do it every single day every single moment if necessary if the lies and the temptations just keep coming you keep pulling out that sword and you smash that vile, wretched lie to pieces. And you remind yourself of the truth of God's word and I promise you, the more you do that, the more you invest your life in God and his word, you will taste and see that God's ways are good. And that's why when we started off with that passage, there is no temptation that can overtake you. He will provide the way of escape and here is the way of escape. It's believing in his truth over the lies. Let's pray.